Well, good afternoon. Glad you're here. We are continuing to spend these early services really going through what are called our, our core values, things that we've identified as such. One of the ones we've been going through recently is the means of grace, which is made up of the Word of God, prayer, and the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. Our core values also include worship, making disciples, serving others, as well as church planning and missions. And we really want to be used. You know, we start looking forward already, and we already want to start thinking about what it looks like to, to be used to planting churches, uh, to plant other churches. We've already benefited from others who have really had the same values in that way. So today we're going to be looking at the value of covenant community, or what's often called covenant family. And you might be hearing this and think, well, what does that mean? Uh, that's a weird-sounding phrase. I remember really the first time I ever understood this term Laura and I were brand new to Kansas City, and I was on staff at Redeemer Presbyterian there. And we had this term thrown around, you know, covenant family, covenant family. And and there was some idea of, okay, I think I know what that means. It's like, be nice to people. Anything like that, you just kind of bring it down to that basic meaning, right? And so then this woman in the church called us out of nowhere. uh, And she asked, could I watch your kid uh, so the two of you could go out and have a date night tonight? Um, We hadn't asked her to do that. We hadn't mentioned anyone how much we really needed a date night to go out and spend some time together. And yet, here she was calling and and asking this. And Laura and I both had that weird feeling of, uh, I don't know if you ever get this, that what's the catch? You know that sense of what am I going to owe you for this kindness? And maybe that says something about where we came from. But I remember, you know, we even awkwardly asked that question of, but but why do you want to even do that? And she replied with this almost, are you stupid kind of tone? That's covenant family. And that was the moment that I I realized that it might be something more than just words. It goes deeper than that. And it is. It is much more than words. This is how we are actually relating to each other in community, how we actively function as family. It's a response to the way that we relate to God, not merely as individuals, but as a collective group who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Uh, And so this evening, I hope to show you with words what it means to say that we as a church are a covenant family in the hope that God will help us all start looking for ways that we might be a blessing to each other and live the gospel in a visible way for the surrounding community that we dwell in, that they might also see this and realize that's more than just words. And so open up your Bibles if you've got them. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 is where we're going to begin. It's this picture of the church as a body, and then it's going to give a little more explanation of what that actually looks like. So Romans chapter 12, verse 3, uh, we'll start. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, 
outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. So the world is full of groups that are united by common interests. There are the Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians who all are united over some common political agenda that they share. There's model railroad collectors, Japanese dance enthusiasts, dairy farmers, NRA members, reptile collectors. There are obnoxious Yankee fans all over the planet that are united together. And there are, like Travis, terribly sad Chicago Cubs fans that are all united over this common interest. In fact, communities have formed just about everything you can imagine. I remember last fall, uh, when Laura and I were at a wedding, we met a, a teenage boy that told us about a community of guys who are fans of My Little Pony. In fact, they had a name. They were called the Bronies. Bros, ponies. When he told me this, my face absolutely betrayed me. And he assured me that he was not the only one on the planet, that there were bunches and bunches and bunches of them. I don't know, maybe some of you are bronies. Uh, I'll find out later. Uh, so that's not even the strangest thing that we see people united to, together about in the world. But I'll leave it at there. You, I think you get the idea. Here's what I want you to understand, though. The church is more than that. We have more than a common interest. We have common failure, sin. We have really something even more to the point, really, is that we have a common Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have a common purpose in the world. And that's what I want you to understand this evening. My hope is that you leave here tonight with a, a greater love for the church. Not the building, not the music or the preaching or the liturgy, not even our fantastic logo that's on the front of our bulletin, but the people, the family, those who are committed to each other, to sharing life together, to rejoicing together, to crying together, to laughing together, to serving each other and with each other so that God is glorified and his people are satisfied. And so let's define this term covenant family or, or covenant community. First of all, the terms are absolutely interchangeable. Really, simply put, a covenant is a contract or an agreement between two people or two parties. A marriage is a covenant. It's the most often used example of such. And every time you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard these marriage vows. I, husband, take you wife. Hopefully they don't use those names. But I, husband, take you wife to be my constant friend, my faithful partner. And my love from this day forward in the presence of our God, our family, and our friends. And it goes on and on and on until death do us part. Similarly, but in a far superior way, God has established a covenant with his people. Originally, the covenant of life with, with Adam in the Garden of Eden. And Adam, of course, breaks this covenant by eating of the forbidden fruit. And God establishes the covenant of grace um, with and, and through Adam. And later God renews this covenant with Noah and again with Abraham and Moses and, and David. And, and ultimately Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets as the new covenant is established. Jesus dies for the sins of his people. That is all who trust in him for the forgiveness of sin. You and I, we enter into this covenant then through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And the picture that God uses for this is adoption. We are made sons and daughters of God. And if we share a father, what does that make each of us? Brothers and sisters. That's right. Brothers and sisters. And that's why we call this unique community a covenant family. Because we are family. And until you know that, until you really believe that, your life will simply not reflect that. And I want you to, uh, to understand this also in just a smaller local understanding. Many of you have already turned in your membership forms. We have membership because there is this responsibility that we have to anyone who places themselves under the shepherding care of this local congregation. That also is a covenant. It's you saying, I want to be held accountable. And I want to serve. And, and I want to help others flourish. And I want to be shepherded. It's looking at each other and saying, this is my family. Think about the terms that the Bible uses to describe how we relate to each other. We've already mentioned it, but it's not associate, it's not neighbor or my acquaintance, it's brother, it's sister. Jesus is called our older brother. God is our heavenly father. It's family terms. One trend we see in the churches today, though, is that uh, this lack of membership, you just attend. And that's a shame because one of our culture's idols really is this lack of commitment. And unfortunately, the church today has not challenged this idol so much as just accommodated it. We don't like to commit to anything. I remember Ross Dixon, who's a RUF campus pastor out at Mizzou, uh, sharing that his students seem to be absolutely incapable of RSVPing to anything. He said he'll throw an event and, and he'll hear back from nobody. He doesn't know if anyone's going to show up. 50 could show up. No, none could show up. And simply put, they couldn't decide if they were going to go. They didn't like to commit to this ahead of time. They wanted to see what other options they have, who else was going, you know, what better things might be going on at that time. Uh, we see this in dating and marriage today as well. And in 1950, the average age of marriage was 24 for men and 20 for women. That seems really young. Today for men, it's 29. For women, it's 27. And I don't want to read too much into this, nor am I saying that marrying at 20 is superior to 27, but really it's reflecting our desire as a culture to resist committing. Somewhere inside, there's this realization that uh, if I marry this one person, I'm closing off the option of every other person on the planet. That is 3.5 billion boys or girls you've just rejected. That's a lot. And what if one of them was a better option? That's the fear, right? Uh, commitment is just scary today. We like our options open. We like our liberties. We don't like authority of any sort. And so here is where the cultural fear of commitment has really affected the church. Uh, too often the church has responded to trends in the world like this by simply embracing them. As people have avoided commitment, many churches have removed any sense of commitment. No membership. No community, no serving, just attending, just listening to sermons and, and singing songs and then going home and living life outside of the community of God's people. And that breaks my heart. God did not design his church to be uh, a motivational TED talk of some kind. Uh, it's so much greater. It's really a, a family. So we will have membership. And I want to encourage you of all ages to commit to a local church. If it's not Manhattan Presbyterian, to commit somewhere because you need it more than you know. We all do. Uh, when Laura and I were in college, we understood the importance of going to church, and so we did. Uh, Sundays would come, and we'd find a service, and we'd show up, and, and we'd go to church. Uh, we also attended a large Bible study on Tuesday nights. We'd listen to sermons on CD. 
Uh, we had fantastic roommates, um, each of us separate roommates. Uh, but we didn't love the church, and we weren't part of the community. In fact, we didn't know a single adult Christian in the entire college town we lived in. It's not that I didn't meet one at the grocery store somewhere, but, but none that I really knew. And I want more for you. I want the wisdom of men and women who have walked with Christ to be shared with each other. I want Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 for us. It reads, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. I've seen it happen already. I've seen it in this this body and it's been beautiful but I I want to encourage us to continue to invite each other over for meals to call and to text and to ask how we might be praying for each other it's for us to relate across ages and for the covenant community to be experienced all week long and not just Sunday at four o'clock okay so I've told you before these topical sermons have been been tough for me sometimes I I feel like I'm unpacking this idea and and I guess that's kind of the point of doing these. But, the, you know, the, we feel comfortable just unpacking a text of Scripture. Uh, we're going to do a little of that looking at, at Romans 12. I want you to look back at Romans 12. The first thing I want you to see here is that God in verse 4 compares the church to a body. And he even points out that every part of the body serves a different function. Now, you know this. This is familiar analogy, right? The lungs give us breath. The eyes give us sight. The hands allow us to touch. Our legs provide walking. Our heart pumps blood. Uh, our butts. You didn't think I was going to say that one, did you? Everything, everything has a purpose. The body, like I said, is this familiar analogy, but do you really get that? That only by working together does our body function like it should. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27 points out that we as a church are connected as one body. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I mean, do you really understand that if, if my right hand is burned on a stovetop, only my right hand is injured, right? But my whole body feels that pain. My whole body then begins to work together to help that hand. My arm pulls it back. My legs jump. My brain starts thinking of, of what to do next, and it's firing off instructions to the various body parts. Turn the water on. Put your hand under there. My face makes some grimacing look. I don't know why, but it's got to contribute something. Everything starts working together in order to fix this problem. So it is in the church. We are the body of Christ, many parts, all gloriously different, working together for a common good. And that common good is many things. Uh, It's spiritual health. It's sanctification as we battle sin. It's proclamation of the gospel. It's blessing the community. It's encouraging each other to good works. It's comforting those who suffer and worship. Yes, worshiping our God together. As you know, we, we desire to have a weekly worship service. And for this to happen, we, we need musicians and we need greeters and we need someone to run the sound and we need someone to set up the sanctuary and pray the pastoral prayer and someone to greet and hand out bulletins and people to serve in the nursery and to serve in children's church to help clean up afterwards Uh, someone to bake the communion bread you don't even think about that probably money to pay the rent on this building and sometimes people to make food for these fellowship meals that we share in afterwards and uh, that doesn't work if we don't work together serving where we can, really coming together for the sake of a common goal. And the truth is, at times, parts of our body do disagree, though, right? 
There's, there seems to be no way around that. You know that, you know, many times my eyes will see a cupcake and they conspire with my mouth and my hands to go get that cupcake and eat it. Meanwhile, my heart and, and my waist and even that thought of what my wife would be saying right now are, are in the back of my head thinking, no, that's pure evil, stay away from that. And, and there's this disagreement within my body on that. And so my, you know, if my physical body doesn't come to some agreement, you look absolutely nuts. It, it looks ridiculous. I look ridiculous when I do that. So does the church. That's how the church looks when we argue and we disagree and we're fighting. You get that. You know, if you saw a human whose internal body was fighting itself like that, you'd look at them and just think you're nuts. And, and when the world looks at the church and sees it functioning that way, the world will just look and think, psychos. And who can argue with that? Peace among the parts of the body is necessary for the good of our body, but also to rightly present the message that we carry into the world, the gospel message that brings hope to the hopeless. Now, our text makes a big point of the different giftings we have. Starting in verse 6, it, it lists prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, that's encouragement, contributing, leading, and acts of mercy. This is not a complete list, but it gives an idea of what some of the gifting that we might have. It also helps us to see that everyone's not given the same gift needed for the church to function well. One of the more obvious places that I feel this in my life is music. I love music, but God did not gift me with any musical ability. No understanding of it, no ability to do it. I bought a guitar a few years ago, and, and Andrea taught me some chords, and I learned these chords. And then there was that day when I realized I have no rhythm, none. I thought, I will never be able to make this object make music, and so I sold it. When people clap to music, if you've ever been at a place where people are clapping, I, I fake it. I am an absolute fraud. I cannot feel the pattern. So I just watch the hands of the person next to me and try to clap when they clap. People talk about pitch and tone, and it's like you're telling me about the color Blitza. I feel like you're lying to me. There is no such thing as the color blitza. And there's no way there's such thing as pitch or, or tone. You, you made it all up because it all sounds the same to me. And that's, that's the way it is. But like I said, I, I love music. My heart and my soul and my emotions are, are drawn into worship in, in a way that is beautiful, in a way that I can't even make sense of sometimes. And, and like I said, I am completely dependent on those of you who God did gift musically. If I'm going to worship him through music. I need you, and as frustrating as that can be at times, I, I love it. I love to be dependent on my covenant family for that experience in so many other areas as well. Some of us don't know what to do with children, while others of you are just absolutely amazing. We're also called to serve. Uh, all of us are called to serve, but for some of you, I, I watch it, and you can see that serving for you is one of the greatest sources of joy in your life, and I love to see that. Some of us are easily discouraged, and yet God has given the church others with this gift of encouragement. John and I were talking on Friday, actually, about how even things you wouldn't dream of being useful to the church really are. The idea of a, of a mother changing diapers was mentioned. Exciting stuff. This is what we talk about. But we realize that even this is a picture of redemption, a picture that some of our, our college students really need to see that. Uh, to see how to walk with Christ, even in the mundane, to, to see love and service and care and given to this helpless child, this thankless child. 
After all, that's a picture of the gospel. That's how God has loved us. Now, Paul and, and ultimately God changes focus a bit in verse 9. It's, it's a description of the Christian life lived in such a way that it's, that's pleasing to God. Uh, it's no surprise then that it begins with this phrase, let love be genuine. And it fits so well after showing us this unity of the body that it's made up of such distinct parts, such different parts. Let love be genuine. The, the word genuine here is incredibly interesting to me. Uh, you're familiar with the word hypocrite. You've probably all called someone that at some point in your life. We get the word hypocrite from a Greek word that means actor, like a stage actor. Uh, in the theater at the time, there were no costumes. There were no sets. The actors would simply hold up a mask to show who they were or what emotion it was they were expressing. And so then we get the word hypocrite because it's like someone holding up a mask and pretending to be someone other than who they really are. So the word here in Romans 12, 9 that, that we translate as genuine is the word hypocrite with a, an A in front of it. Uh, you might remember that the word theist means someone who believes in God. And if you put the letter on the front of that word, it becomes atheist, the exact opposite. An atheist is someone who does not believe in God. And so our word genuine is literally not a hypocrite. It's not our wearing a mask. It's our not pretending to be something that we aren't. It's God telling us uh, in the church to put down the mask, to stop just acting like we love each other, to stop hiding who we, who we are, and instead to seek love that is genuine, love that is sincere, love that is real. I put a, a Diedrich Bonhoeffer quote in the reflection section in the front of your bulletin, thinking towards our, our need to love each other in the church, he suggested prayer. That seems obvious, right? Pray for love. But the way he puts it is really interesting. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His point is that in prayer, we are seeking their good. We are seeking their deliverance from temptations, their healing, their growth, their repentance. When we pray for their good, it helps us love like God has called us to love. Real, genuine love. If you find yourself struggling to love people in this community, consider how you've prayed for them and how you might start praying for them. I can't encourage you enough to be praying for your covenant family. One of the reasons love is so important for the church is because it reflects back on our Savior. It's the true mark of, of our redemption. In John 13, 35, we see how the world will view the way that we relate to each other. Here Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If we love each other, it displays to the world that we are Christ's disciples. The book of Philippians builds on this in chapter 2, verse 3, where Paul writes, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. My prayer for this covenant family is that we would love each other well, that we would live out that text of Scripture as we consider each other more important than ourselves. There is so much more to this Romans text today. Really, I wish we could get into it. Someday, God willing, we will work through this book 
as we go through it verse by verse and look at it in greater detail. For the sake of time tonight, I want to just look at one more section. Look at Romans 12, verse 13. It reads, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The first half is how we show love to our covenant community. Contribute is an active verb. This means we're not simply responding when people ask for help, but we are looking for the needs of each other so that we can help, so that we can contribute. Simply put, it's looking for ways to serve each other, to serve others, especially Christians. And I know that that sounds somewhat selfish to say, especially Christians, uh, but we see this in the text of Scripture. I don't know how else to put that. Galatians 6.10 even makes the same point. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. The core of the statement in Romans 12 we're, we're looking at today is that those with less are invited to enjoy the blessings of, of those with more. That sounds like socialism, right? It's not. It's not socialism. It's not forced by the state. To, it's done so willingly. It's done so joyfully with an acknowledgement that it, whether we're talking about possession or time or skills, ultimately belong to God and not ourselves to begin with. It's done with genuine love and, and care for others who are involved. Now, while money, food, clothing, and shelter are the most obvious ways that we provide for the needs of, of the saints, it goes beyond money, uh, really to every way in which God has provided for us. If it's sharing our God-given abundance regarding skills, wisdom, strength, experience, talents, time, uh, and all sorts of other ways. It's It's as simple as watching someone's children so they can go on a a date and strengthen their marriage. Don't wait to be asked. If you wish to be a blessing, call up anyone with children. They're all almost insane at this point anyway. Call up anyone with children and just ask them if you can watch their kids for a night. Um, There are a thousand other ways that you can love each other. It's a a $2 cup of coffee and a listening ear to a friend. Uh, It's as simple as asking questions just to know someone better. Uh, It's men with electrical or or carpentry or plumbing or car skills helping those who are without those skills solve a problem. It's parents who have raised children sharing biblical wisdom and experience with those who are just starting to raise children. It's those who have studied scripture for years sharing that knowledge with younger believers. It's those who have been married for a long time sharing wisdom and advice with those newly married or soon to be married. It's, It's sharing biblical experience regarding dating or or whatever you want to call it. May others in our covenant family learn from your success and learn from your failures. And that means the community must be a safe place. Uh, What I mean by that is we must feel safe to confess our sin to others in the church uh, without fear of being gossiped about or shunned. But we also need to know that sin will be dealt with, that brothers and sisters in Christ will help us do battle against sin in our life in a gospel-driven, grace-saturated, hope-filled way. Uh, in response to this text, may we be a covenant family who contributes to each other's needs. Uh, the last thing this text mentions is that we seek to show hospitality. That word hospitality literally means love to stranger, uh, or love of a stranger, or to a stranger. Uh, we ought to be a community that loves each other well, but also a community that welcomes others well. When we meet new people, do we seek to know them? Do we seek to make them feel welcome and included? Uh, 
Uh, most of us know how scary it is to enter into any new social environment. It's, it's like that first day of high school. You get to the lunchroom and you look and you have no idea where you're going to sit. Do those people even want me to sit with them? Would I be allowed to sit there? There's that fear uh, that comes over you. When we show hospitality, we are making people feel welcome and wanted by approaching them and seeking them out and letting them know that they are, are welcome in this community. I think there is an ongoing aspect of this, too. Some of you are part of the covenant community, and you just don't feel it. Let us avoid cliques and to love others well so that God is glorified in our social interactions. As we come to a, a close, I want to remind you of two last things here. Uh, one, families are not perfect, not even covenant families. Uh, your feelings will be hurt. That's what happens when, when sinners, even redeemed sinners, live in community together. So pray for it and seek patience with each other. Don't expect perfection. Uh, be quick to forgive and, and patient with each other. Two, uh, in Scripture we are told how to love others. I want you to notice this distinction. We are told how to love others well. Not how to judge if others have loved us well. When we hear about how to care for each other as a covenant community, there is a temptation to sit back and wonder, when will someone love me like that? When will they invite me to a meal? When will they take me to coffee? When will they watch my children? Let me encourage you not to do that. You are a part of this community. Uh, look for ways that you can actively love and serve your covenant family. Be a part of what makes this family great. We'll close with this the end of the first book of the Lord of the Rings series. It ends with this beautiful picture of committed love, uh, what committed love for each other looks like. Uh, the hobbit Frodo is, is carrying a weight, a burden for himself and a burden for others. And, and he decides to go away and deal with this problem alone. And as Frodo's getting into this boat and he begins to paddle across the river, his dedicated friend, this Samwise Gamgee, sees this and he goes after him. And Frodo says, go back, Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. And Samwise responds, of course you are. And I am coming with you. Brothers and sisters, covenant community means that we will not go to Mordor alone. We will face the struggles of this life together as we are united to Christ through faith.